Till I'm tiptoe.com. The podcast about pop culture, black history, and spirituality. Yeah. It's about to be a great vibe. Dr. Tip. Gonna take it away. Till I'm tiptoe. Hey, y'all. Hey, thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You. It's your girl, Tip, and I am happy to be with you today. Um, Today on the podcast, I'm going to cover a couple of different things, all of them revolving around what today, March 8th, is. It is International Women's Day, and I'm so proud to be a woman and all of the things that come along with that. And so I just want to join you um, in celebrating women today. So here are some things I want to discuss. I want to talk about commitments and protections afforded to black women in particular. Um, I want to talk about who some of my favorite black women are. And then we'll talk about, um, you know, the strength that women have that I think we discount far too often in today's world. All right. So let's just jump right in. You know, R. Kelly this week, if you've been following that story, R. Kelly this week was arrested on back child support. This is after a black woman bailed him out for being arrested for uh, having sex with a minor. It, the whole thing is just, I think it's a microcosm of what happens more broadly in our communities. Uh, because black women in a lot of ways are conditioned and socialized to take care of everyone around them, sometimes we find ourselves in positions where we are protecting our own enemies. And I think that's what happened with the woman who bailed him out of jail. But it's not lost on me that as memes float around of him standing aggressively over Gail King during her a recent interview of him, It's not lost on me that some people find that image funny, that we're making light of it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. And I did to kiki about some of those pictures. But it says something that we are so comfortable and desensitized to that aggression um, of um, uh, I don't even know where else to go with that other than to say R. Kelly is extremely problematic. But what? continues to irritate me more about this case than almost R. Kelly himself are the large numbers or is the large number of people rushing to his defense. Now, I was on a brother's page this morning. This brother, now, I I don't know if he got amnesia because when the documentary came out, he was talking about R. Kelly needing to be, um, you know, held accountable for his actions against black women, right? But today, he brought in the Michael Jackson documentary and said that, you know, basically these brothers are being um, unfairly targeted and we need to pay attention to white folk, what they're doing today, predators and, you know, just. But what was amazing to me is I, I have been following this guy for a while and he is always very suspicious of the American judicial system. I think rightfully so. However, today. In his positioning, he said that, you know, um, Michael Jackson was found innocent. R. Kelly was found innocent. We need to let the brothers go. Wait a minute. Either you trust black women or you don't. And either you distrust the American judicial system or you don't. But you can't have it both ways. See, because it's convenient for his argument today, 
Then he's going to talk about what has happened in the American judicial process. Any other day, you would be thumbing your nose at that, brother. Get it right. Now, that makes me sit and wonder what really the motivation is. What's really your motivation? I hope it's not to say that if white men can get away with brutalizing, um, taking advantage of, mistreating, sexually abusing women, then we should be able to, too. Because that's what it sounded like this morning. And that's what it sounds like to me when many of these people in our communities are throwing out the what about him question when we talk about predators in our own culture. We don't support predators. We should not support predators, period. They should be held accountable. And then somebody else on the same thread, another man, says, um, I, you know, I'm not saying he shouldn't be held accountable. I'm saying we shouldn't, let, we shouldn't let them hold him accountable. Okay, so what have you done since the 90s to hold these brothers accountable? See how the, the, the double talk there, it's, it's illogical. It's completely illogical. And what is happening is a lot of people's um, misogyny, misogynoir, is being made apparent, right? And if you don't trust black women, I don't have no time for you. I don't have no time for you. Now, does that mean that there are no black women who lie? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Some of us know some very vindictive women, um, but what I would say is their existence is negligible compared to the number of black women who have suffered at the hands of people who say that they love them who have suffered at the hands of people who have been um, trusted to take care of them, right? We can't have it both ways, y'all. We got to protect black women and girls. Either you do or you don't. But don't try to couch it in some faux-type language for me. And then his first response, which is funny to me, his first response was, you sound like you hate black men. It's funny because, you know, we've been Facebook friends for over a year, I don't see how you could ever encounter some of my posts and think that I hate black men. Black men are black people, and I love black people. <laughs> like, my daddy's a black man. My brother's a black man. My man is a black man. My nephews will be black men. How the hell I hate black men? They throw that out at us to pull us off the conversation. I sound like I, I hate black men? No. I sound like I hate black men who make excuses for predators. That's what I sound like. Your melanin doesn't, doesn't excuse you for allowing my enemy to walk free. It doesn't. It just doesn't. All right? So pay attention to the people around you and how they're responding to this shit. Um, in a lot of ways, it's problematic. Now, let me tell you uh, who else I'm thinking about a lot right now, and that is... Brother Umar Johnson, right? Now, he hasn't done anything in particular this week to irritate me, but, you know, I am bothered by the number of people who share his videos. I, I just, I'm trying to be fair, right? The, here's the danger around him in particular, because sometimes the truth does come out of his mouth. Sometimes Brother Umar is on it. And I'm honest about that. The problem is he has a pattern of behavior that demonstrates to me at least that he's a little bit of a 
a culture vulture. And he uses the, those, um, those truthful rants he goes on to protect him from critique when he goes on these con man escapades, right? Or at least that's how I see it. And so I become irritated with people who talk about Brother Umar as if he's some modern-day prophet, mostly because he's misogynistic. And again, it is black women who tend to be victimized in his rhetoric, and we defend him because sometimes the truth comes out of his mouth. It's it, the R. Kelly case, and with him, there seems to be evidence that, by and large, there are people in our communities that disregard black women to protect black men. Now, I'm not saying that it should be the other way around. What I'm saying is we should hold individuals accountable for individuals' behavior, and we should trust each other. But I'm seeing far too often black women pushed into a corner where any critique we levy against black men somehow becomes evidence that we don't love black men. No, perhaps I love you so much that I want you to be your best self. And your best self cannot walk away from me when I need your help, when I need and deserve your protection. That's not your best self, brother. I'm in love with your best self, not Ara. I'm in love with your best self, not Umar. So my critique of these men is not a critique of you. I need for our brothers to know that and to stop throwing it up in our face as if we cannot critique anybody with a penis. That was heteronormative, that we, that we cannot critique men. Stop making it seem like we cannot critique black men because we're women. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know, sometimes when I was younger, when I was younger, I didn't understand the power of a pick me. Y'all know what a pick me is. You know, these sisters out here who, when they see women like me critique any man, they rush to the man's defense, regardless if the man is wrong or not, because we're supposed to protect them. Has it ever crossed our minds that they have stopped protecting us because the role, you've made it such where they don't have to. You've made it such where they don't have to. What's funny to me is the number of men who will say, I need a woman that cooks and cleans. Because that's how women used to do, right? Well, brother, are you fixing on the car out there like men used to do? Are you paying all the bills like men used to do? See, if you're going to hold by gender norms, I need you to hold them all the way. All right. But again, that's that's, you know, all this is me. This is just me. These are my feelings on today's International Women's Day. This is how I feel right now. I'm not saying that anyone else should feel this way. I just want to share with you what tip feels and tip feels. The older I get, the more I realize that in a, in a lot of cases, in far too many cases, black women are all we got. We're all we got. We're all we got. So I want to tell you about some black women who are my faves. I'm not going to hold y'all on today um, because I got some stuff I need to do. I need to get on the road. And plus, I need for y'all to talk back to me. But anyway, I want to share with you some of my faves. Now, last episode, I read to you an excerpt 
from Toni Morrison's Beloved. So the first two people on my list should not be a surprise to you. Number one is the actress Bea Richards. I love her. I love her. I am moved by her almost every time she opens her mouth. There's a wonderful documentary, um, and I wish I had written down the title before I came online. Uh, I'm going to be searching on my phone while I tell you why I love her. I love Bea Richards because she is, it's like, um, for those of us who are familiar with Lukumi and or Ifa, Bea Richards is the quintessential Yemuja to me. She's the quintessential not matronly mother, but full mother, right? She she just encompasses so much wisdom, in my opinion. Um, and she is like, almost everything that comes out of her mouth feels like a prayer. And I love her for that. I love her for that. This documentary, I'm still looking for the name, y'all. Um. This documentary I'm speaking of, it's, it's called Bia, A Black Woman Speaks, after that famous um, poem that she performed. Bia, A Black Woman Speaks. So if you watch that documentary, what you find is that Bia stands as a testament to what happens when we inherit intergenerational knowledge of the possibilities inherent in African people. Like you can't hear her talk and not hear just pride and strength and beauty. And just, even in that documentary, um, she was ill when it was recorded. And to listen to the strength in her voice, even as her flesh is weak, the strength in her ideas, even as her flesh is weak, it becomes evidence for me at least of what happens to our spirit when the flesh is gone. Like the spirit is still there. And she spoke as one who understood that, right? Just trust me on that. Go get Bea Richards, um, the documentary on Bea Richards called Bea, A Black Woman Speaks. You owe it to yourself. If um, If you tuned into this past class, the Sankofa Sessions class from last Saturday, then I played an excerpt from that documentary and you saw her talk about her parents. And, and I think it was clear, even in that short clip of who she was, I have often said that I wonder if Toni Morrison wrote Baby Sucks Holy for Bea Richards because that was such a wonderful casting. Oprah did her thing with that casting. Well, whomever casted her did they thing with that in uh, the film rendition of Toni Morrison's Beloved. So that brings me to the next person on my list, and that is Mama Toni Morrison. Not only is she top two favorite writers of mine, top two favorite writers, and it's, it's interesting, I have a gender balance there. Up until this year, I would have said my top two favorite authors are Toni Morrison and Ayi Kwerma. This year, Brother Kiese Lamon with Heavy is now top two. So it's Toni Morrison right now and Kiese Lehman as my top two favorite authors. Um, but let's get back to Mama Toni. Mama Toni, not only is she, is she a brilliant writer, her critique of racism is so nuanced and powerful 
that I can't help but to admire her. And she is so, she is always so calm and collected when she's confronting um, race that it's, it, it is a model for me, right? Because y'all know I'm a hothead and I want to one day be someone who can sit in my own power and speak the way she does without seemingly being moved, <laughs> right? I say seemingly because I'm sure for her to have the ideas that she has, she, she recognizes foolishness, but she doesn't confront it in the same kinds of way I would. If I, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I know who, what, which Arisha, um, holds which head, but what I am saying is when I think of Via Richards, I think of Yamoja. When I think of Toni Morrison, I think of a mix of Oshun and Oya, right? Oshun, because she's, uh, she's deceptively fierce. Sometimes she's deceptively fierce in terms of she's often underestimated, right? She's often underestimated. And I think that happens to Toni Morrison. When you see these journalists ask these asinine questions, there's a video going around of an interview where a white woman asks her, when, um, when does she think she'll expand to include other characters besides black people in her novels, Right. Just like Oshun would giggle a little bit in the face of that and not necessarily show you all her anger, I think Mama Toni Morrison, in her quiet, composed response to that, that she already is incredibly complex because she writes about black characters. She doesn't need to expand beyond that because we are whole. (laughs) Nothing exists outside of us that is important, right? I think how she responds to those answers, there is that Oshun tendency to just show your strength in a very casual way. And it's something that I admire. I think as women, um, I, th- I think we saw that in the Gail King interview, right? Men often throw out at us, and I think it's a strategy. I think they're very um, intentional when they do this. They throw out at us that to be emotional is to be... Um, to lack logic, right? As if emotions can't be channeled. I think though that they are far more irrationally emotional than women are. And that that Gail King, R. Kelly situation, I think that that's where we see that. And I think that's one of the reasons why that image was so speaking to many black women is because we've all been there. We've all had some male figure blow up at us. And we're looking at them like, what the hell is wrong with this? What? <laughs> right? I, I, and I think there's a lesson there for those of us who, can't, who don't do that. The hotheads like I am sometimes who jump right back up in the, in the dude's face. I think there's a kind of deceptive strength that we should sometimes demonstrate. And Mommy Tony Morrison shows me that. Now, the next person on my list is Sister Yaba Blay. Now, you may know her as the scholar behind Professional Black Girl. Yaba has devoted her professional career to documenting, interrogating, and pushing us on our ideas about the Black aesthetic in terms of beauty. Um, I think her work... Now, okay, so you all know how I feel about doing the kind of scholarship that is you. And this is why Sister Yaba is on my list. 
because she is a model, for me at least, of what it looks like to love your people openly, bravely, courageously in your scholarship. And how to make that scholarship your hustle, right? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I love how she loves on us. And she loves on the parts of us, or she openly loves on the parts of us. Some of us um, try to act like don't exist. And I think that's why, it's it's not a think. That's why I honor her in this list. Because it is easy to love black women who look a certain way, act a certain way, dress a certain way, have a certain kind of bank account, etc. But to love all parts of ourselves is a little more difficult. And Sister Yaba reminds us to do that. Now, definitely, she is her mother's child. So I think she manifests, to me, she has that very Oya personality. Right, a very Oya personality. I love her, but she's also got my mother's sweetness because she reminds us to reflect on who we are. All right, the other woman on my list, uh, I have two more that I want, well, three more that I want to share with you. The next one on my list is Mama Shirley Weber. Um, she is a longtime member of the National Council for Black Studies out, and she is a scholar out of California. The reason Shirley Weber appears on my list is because of her long-standing commitment to education. As someone, for those of you who may be relatively new to me, my background is black studies, right? And there was a point in my life where I thought I was going to be pure black studies. I think I still am pure black studies. I just happen to be located in a department that's not black studies. (laughs) Um, But what is interesting to me is that when we, black studies and education, I don't know, I don't know that enough black studies scholars pay attention to the classroom. And I'm not talking about the higher class, higher ed classroom. I'm talking K-12. Like, I think we talk about disproportionate representation of black boys in special ed, um, the growing rates of violence among um, black teenage girls. I think we talk about the sociological um, parts of black childhood, I'm not sure we give enough attention to the curricula, um, the books, educational policies, et cetera, outside of saying they should be more culturally relevant. But in terms of actually advocating for policy, training people for education that have a black studies ideology or African-centered ideology, I don't think we do enough of that. And so she is a model for me of what it looks like to dedicate one's career to not only black studies, but how we use the tools, the framework, the literature, um, the studies that come out of that field to better understand what happens in U.S. public schools to our babies. Right. So Mama Shirley Weber is one of those people for me. Now, uh, what would I, I I think I would give her a Yumoja Oshun type Dos Aguas orientation. Now, again, I'm just doing that for fun today. I'm not pretending to say who these people's crowning Orisha would be if they made Ocha. I'm just saying who these people remind me of in terms of Ocha. All right. So my next two are... um, they are people I study professionally and they are, I have, I have sometimes talked about the need for ha- for having mentors 
who have transcended life. And both of these people I considered mentors who have transcended life. And they come to me occasionally in my dreams. And you can't tell me they're not working with me. All right. So the first one is Mama Zora Neale Hurston. Y'all know I love her. Y'all know I love her. Um, why is she on my list? Zora Neale Hurston was clever. Like, I think a lot of times when we talk about the trickster in, um, in our history, and I'm not talking about tri- tricksters in literature, right? I'm talking about a real-life Walter White-type trickster, a real-life John W. Davidson, a real-life what's on the surface is me doing what I need to do to get what I really need to do, the, the, the covert work, right, if that makes sense. I think Zora Neale Hurston was that person. People have tried to uh, suggest she was a sellout because of how the, the relationship she had with her patrons. Um, I understand her in a much different way. She did what she had to do on the surface to document history that would have been lost without her, right? And sometimes I think, well, sometimes for me, I forget that I have to play a game. But when I look at Zora Neale Hurston, she played the game so masterfully that some people forgot she was playing. There's there's that kind of strength and strategy. Now, I would... I would Nana Baruku. That's who she reminds me of. That that kind of just cut your strength, but it's not the kind of strength you you anticipate coming at you. Right? It's it's a now she talks about sharp, sharpening her oyster knife, but that's again evidence to me of that kind of. An oyster knife is not readily, people see it and you don't think danger. It's a tool. And she understood that her writing was a dangerous tool. Her documentation of our, let me tell you about Zora Neale Hurston in terms of just what what has been on my mind lately. What is very clear to me when you read Hurston's work on hoodoo is that it is to a system of initiation. All these internet brujas out here, (laughs) these internet witches, who don't have first initiation, who have learned everything they know online and from a book uh, and, and want to claim conjure and hoodoo because supposedly you, you can be free to do that without people calling you on it. I'm calling you on it because Hurston documented for us that in the black South, if you wanted to be a hoodoo practitioner, you wanted to practice conjure, somebody initiated you. You had an elder. All right. I'm off that. But you see what I'm saying? This is why it is important for some of us who are scholars to document things that are seemingly not academic. This is why I do what I do. It has to be seemingly not academic because a lot of our pedagogical knowledge, a lot of our wisdom is embedded in our folk practices. How common people do what they do. That's where our intellect really lies. Right. This this going green, sustainability, all that stuff. We all have jokes about how to butter dish, you know, the country crop. That's Tupperware. Trash bags, they shower, uh, (laughs) shower caps. I'm, 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 I'm calling them trash bags. I'm talking about the grocery bag. 
It becomes a trash bag. It becomes a shower cap. It's a lunch bag. We have always done these things. There is strength in our um, folk knowledge that we often overlook. And that's why I love Mama Zorino Hurston, because she reminds us to look there. I, I like her. I, I love her for that. I love her for that. All right. And that brings me to the person that I'm presently writing about. And that is Mama Lucille Clifton. Lucille Clifton. Now, I'm not giving away none of my book, but let's just say she's on my list because she is all of that and beyond. And she is all of that and beyond in ways that I don't think many of us knew. But what we do know is that she wrote hella poetry that reminded us to see our beauty, to embrace our own beauty, and to celebrate every day that we're still here. I think there is a real strength there, and I love her for that. Now, if Zornel Hurston is like Nana Baruku to, to me, I think Lucille Clifton, hmm. Y'all, I don't know. That's the one I don't know. I, I don't know who she reminds me of. So if you know, send me an email to drtip at tellemtiptoldyou.com and let me know who you think. Lucille Clifton deals with. I, I, I know what I, I think she would say, and I think she would say she ain't into that. <laughs> but what do you think? What do you think? So that brings me to how I want to wrap up today. And that is to hit on something I said earlier. There is real strength to being a woman. And I think in a lot of ways, it intimidates certain men. Woman's intuition is real. Woman's intuition is real. And I think it frightens some people the ways that we can know. I think it frightens people the way our words are as generative as they are. You know, listen, you want to hear a curse. You let a black woman tell you you ain't going to be shit. That's when you need to be afraid. (laughs) Because there is strength. And we know that in traditional African Um, spiritual traditions, there are different names for it, but the words that come from a mouth. But fight me on this, I think the words that come from an old black woman's mouth carry a lot more weight than some of us. And that kind of strength of what it means to be woman is to be that force of generative energy, that we create things. Um, As a woman without children, which is painful for me, Right? I, that is still very painful for me. I am 45. I have no children. Nonetheless, nonetheless, I have grown to understand that whether I give birth to a child or not, I create every day. I create life in some ways. And there's a strength there that women possess that not many other people possess. That mother's wit, that mother's wit that intimidates some men so much that they tell us we're being crazy and paranoid. That deep thinking that they critique is suggesting that it means we hate black men. They fear it. They fear it. And because they fear it, a lot of us have been conditioned to hide it. And I'm here to tell you we don't have to do that anymore. We shouldn't do that anymore. 
We should be all that we are. Develop all the parts of ourselves. Fall in love with all parts of ourselves. Honor and respect all parts of ourselves. If we don't, we know damn sure ain't nobody else going to do it for us. So here is my vow to you on today. I vow to protect black women and girls. I vow to advocate for us, to fight for us, to document our brilliance and remind us of our beauty. I vow to build stronger alliances with our supporters and more diligently call out our enemies. I vow to mentor our young ones and to honor and learn from our elders. I vow to pray more for us and to do the works to make those prayers come true. I vow to learn more about us and to create spaces for us to tell our stories, to reflect, and to collectively heal in. I vow to celebrate us consciously and continuously, always. Thank you for joining me for today's edition. If you have any comments, please send me an email at drtip at tellemtiptoldyou.com. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. And I invite you to leave me a review. Thanks. Have a wonderful day. Tell them to told you. Bye.